Hey, everybody, and welcome to 52 Weeks of Empowerment. I am your host, Andrea Pagnosi, and I am also a career empowerment coach who is fiercely dedicated to getting everyone in 2022 to realizing their true career potential. And we're in the second to last month of the year. So there's still time to make progress and even just motivate people for the next year. If we can even just do that, I think this is a success. And I know most of our episodes are as successful as the guests that are in them. And we have a wonderful show planned for you today with a very successful guest named Amanda McPherson. Amanda offers her life-changing coaching and consulting through one-on-one coaching, workshops, public speaking, customized training sessions for businesses and organizations. And she's actually been named one of Austin, Texas's best life coaches by expertise.com. She appears on Studios 512 as a expert guest and her writing has been published in several online journals, reaching hundreds of thousands of readers. Simply put, Amanda has living her dream and wants to help you do the same. And today, Amanda joins us to talk about a topic that I think carries through our previous episode, episode 45, where we talked about empowering people through career paths. And the only way that you're really going to do that and succeed throughout the career path and excel and progress through your career is if you've got feedback. Feedback is gold. It helps us be the best we can be wherever we are. And there's a lot of people out there that need Amanda's help to really kind of not only embrace it, but give it well in a way that's non-threatening and super empowering. And that is why we welcome Amanda McPherson to 52 Weeks. Welcome. Thank you so much, Andrea. You, I could not have done a better introduction. That was lovely. So thank you so much. Well, you have kind of a unique background that comes to coaching in a way that's a little bit more than just a typical run-of-the-mill coach. In fact, you've got coaching in your direct family, your husband as well. So tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Like probably a lot of people listening, I've done a few different things in my life professionally. We'll start with I, a big chunk of my career was working in Washington, D.C. in politics. Oh, what a timely thing <laughs> to say. Needless to say, a long time ago, I realized that might not be how I wanted to uh, affect the change and the impact uh, in the world. So I worked in politics for about 15 years. Through that time, I worked both for members of the legislature and I worked for companies inside of a corporate structure. And I say that to say I haven't always been in this sort of self-help coaching bubble. I have had good managers. I've been around great leaders, leaders that or people that needed to learn about leadership. I've been myself a good manager, a, a manager that needed a lot of work. So I have that personal experience in that way. And then I changed careers sort of in my mid to late 30s. I just sort of looked up and realized what I was doing currently wasn't what I wanted to do until I retired. And I had a lot of working years, you know, ahead of me. And, you know, I can't wait to hear what you recorded on your last episode, because figuring out what it is you really are good at and what you want to do is so, so important. And my story involves making a switch into a new career. I became a coach about 10 years ago. 
I went back to school. I got a master's degree in counseling. And while I loved that and therapy thing, and that's what I was studying to be for me, I realized I was probably best at could serve the kind of people that maybe I was most aligned with, with a coaching model, taking people from the self-awareness phase and stage, which I think is super important. And therapy can be really helpful to get people there, but then how do we start really doing the things differently. I always say that therapy had me as a very self-aware young woman. I could talk to the cows come home, as we say in Texas, about all my, you know, quote issues, but I wasn't really showing up differently in the world until coaching came into my life. So, so I became a coach about 10 years ago. Ironically, I married a sports coach two years ago. So yeah, we're, we're all about coaching in my house these days. I've often used sports coaching as an analogy when people say to me, what is coaching? Because the funny part is you're kind of the trifecta, right? Because you've got the therapy. So people come to us. And you find out very quickly, this person actually needs a therapist. They don't need coach. And as you know, when you're not licensed like you as a therapist, it's it's inappropriate for us to take on those clients. Very often, I will have clients that are doing therapy with a licensed practitioner, and they'll also do coaching. But they're not quite sure what to expect from coaching, life coaching, career coaching in my case. And they'll say, well, what is it that you do that constitutes coaching? I'll use the Michael Phelps metaphor, the Olympian, the swimmer. And I'll say at some point he was taught to swim and he realized that this is what he really wanted to do. And just like his coaches are giving him the ingenuity to tap into his fundamentals and and empower him to get out of his own head and really keep his head in the lanes, keep him swimming fastest so he can break records. That's what a coach does with you. They empower you. They get your head in the game. Um, That analogy helps them. I'll say the difference between a coach and an individual who hires a coach, however, I can't jump on the field. Have you ever seen a coach jump on the field and run the ball into the end zone? No, you haven't. (laughs) Football players have to do that, but it's the coach that gets them the ingenuity to be able to do that, to push themselves above and beyond. And that's what I can do for you in your career. The interesting thing is a lot of people get feedback from their managers and it may be developmental and delivered in such a way that they just want to give up. They really take it hard. They really get it into their psyche and they're really not able to get past it. Tell me a little bit about the psychology of feedback and what you've seen throughout the 10 years that you've been a coach, but how does it play a role in people's ability to forward the action in their career? Love that you use the Michael Phelps analogy. And I have some examples. I mean, how watching my husband and how he gives feedback has really shown me that, you know, the specificity and the way that people do it in sports and how productive and helpful that is. Why don't we do that in the corporate sphere? I do believe that feedback, praise, critique, all of that, it's going to go over well with most reasonable people if they know you really care about them. And that you're giving it to them because you want them to succeed and you want to see them grow. Without that piece, I think that critique, criticism, whatever you want to call it, 
can land in a way that can really do some damage or have some psychological, emotional impacts that are more long lasting. I would propose that most reasonable people really can take some pretty honest, direct feedback, but it's got to first be built on rapport, knowing that you're giving it with their best interest at heart and because you want them to succeed. And that is everything we're going to talk about with feedback. Yes, we're talking about it in a workplace, but it can also be about our personal lives too. Think about the times that someone has just been really honest with you, but you knew they really cared about you and maybe they delivered a tough truth. But it was so powerful and so impactful to you in a positive way because you knew they were doing it from a place of wanting you to only be better, happier, healthier, et cetera. I think about coaching as a coach and being coached myself, which I have my own coach. I think all should. That's my personal opinion. Some of the most impactful moments have been when I got some pretty darn direct feedback from my coach and it wasn't sugary, sweet, positive stuff. It was something that she saw that was a blind spot of mine, but because I knew it was from this place of only wanting me to grow and succeed and be happier, it hit me on a level that really made a change in my life. So while yes, that happens inside this coaching relationship, I would argue that can happen between every employee, manager, CEO, CFO. Like we can create that same environment for that kind of coaching or candid feedback and guidance to not be so detrimental to somebody. I agree. And I feel like we're at the time of year where managers themselves get into this tizzy because they have to provide annual review feedback. And I feel like employees are in a tizzy because they're like, I'm not sure what to expect. This to me should not be a once a year thing. There should not be a gotcha mentality. You should know how you're performing even before the conversation takes place. What should this sound like though? When somebody is giving feedback, what's the sort of pearls of wisdom that you can share about how to give it appropriately? Absolutely. I, I first want to say you're absolutely right about it should not be saved for this annual review or even quarterly review. Frequency will take the fear, the sting, the big old hairy boogeyman kind of thing out of it. But if we wait and we wait and we are waiting to, we've, we've sort of not given frequent guidance. Let's use the word guidance because that's what feedback is, both praise and the critique. If we've waited, then, you know, Number one, we want to fend off that being the situation. That performance review, I'm not saying get get rid of those, but that's sort of another just check-in, right? Have we, because we know that the employee knows and we know as the leader, this is not the first time they've heard it. So really creating a culture where guidance, praise, and critique is the norm. So, you know, an analogy I'll use, and I will get to the tools of phrases you can use and things like that. But what I've learned, Andrea, is as we know in coaching, 
You can give people all the phrases and tools and worksheets in the world, but at the core, if they feel like they need to be liked more than anything and they're terrified of conflict or terrified of themselves being uncomfortable or the other piece of per person being uncomfortable, they're not going to do it. It doesn't matter how many ticks, you know, tips and tricks we give. So it's the thing underneath the thing underneath the thing. You got to peel back the onion. And I think one thing is recognizing that it is kind to be clear. You know, I did not come up with that, right? I think Brene Brown, you know, like often says clear is kind. And so again, if you wait for that annual review or you wait for even that quarterly review, is that really being kind if you've been just sort of ignoring or stomaching or writing a list and not letting them know what they're, you know, that could be better. So I like to compare it to, do you want to go for a root canal or should you go to your regular cleanings? <laughs> Performance review can feel like a root canal if you haven't been doing your regular cleanings. And those regular cleanings look like within reason very soon after you notice a performance issue or something that you want to address you address it you you don't sit on it and when there's something you see that's good you address it so that again you're building this culture where just on a daily weekly basis people are giving and receiving feedbacks that doesn't really build that sense of, wow, this person is really watching my work, really caring about specificity will go so far. What was it that they did well, right? I loved how organized you came to that presentation. It's clear you had given thought to it. You were able to talk about complex ideas in such a, you know approachable way. You're going to walk away from that praise a lot differently than good job builds that feeling of someone cares about you. It's not, this is not rocket science. You don't have to buy them flowers every week or flower them with the, you know, a bunch of gifts. It's that someone noticing your work and noticing your special gifts. And you first focus on that. Let's say you're somebody that's like, I know I kind of stink at this feedback thing. Like it just scares me. I, I feel like maybe I haven't been doing it the way I could or should. Start with praise. Start with specific praise. Start making that conscious effort to be more specific in your praise. And then you've put all these credits into the, the positive goodwill bank. So then when you do need to say that on this presentation, I felt like it wasn't as organized or I didn't feel like you clearly articulated it, that's just going to land differently than that if, if they also know that you've noticed when it was right. As a leader, first focusing on that. And then the second piece would be creating a culture and an environment where you truly ask for feedback as the leader. Okay. You've got to remember you're in a position of power. These most people are not going to feel like they really can be honest with you. And this is hard. And even if you're well-intentioned, let me tell you why I think it can be hard. Haven't you been in a situation, Andrea, where you've asked for feedback and people are like, it was great. It was great. No, you did great. And you know that there's probably something you could have done better, but you can tell it would make them uncomfortable to tell you that. So you just, you kind of let them off the hook. Okay. Thanks. Well, thanks. As a leader, it's your job to say, I would really like to know 
what specifically I could have done better, it would really help me. Don't let them off the hook. And then you do it in a kind way. And why do you do that? Because if they really believe you're open to hearing that, again, it's going to make it so much more welcomed and so much more productive when you need to give the feedback because you've been so open to it. You've created the culture of it being an expectation. Don't let them off the hook. Build this mind-blowing culture. And then when they do give you the feedback, you celebrate the heck out of it. Oh my gosh, that's so helpful. I am so glad you told me that. I'm really going to think about that. You know, I'm really, and then in a meeting, you say, you know, Sally gave me a piece of feedback the other day and I really thought about it and, and I so appreciate it because I'm going to do X, Y, and Z differently because of that. The mindset of make everybody part of the process of being better and holding each other accountable to that. I think that is not only something that companies need to embrace more of, but it just is a practice that makes sense. I mean, it really does. I've seen it done well. I've also seen it not done well. I've seen the root canal. And so when it doesn't go well, how do you, is it possible to reinstate trust? And if so, how do you do that as a leader where you've let people off the hook or let's say it was the root canal specifically and it was a train wreck. You gave them feedback, they burst into tears or you didn't give them feedback all the way along and now you're hitting them like a train. How do you reinstate trust from that? How do you build again? Well, there is that fracture there at that point, maybe with that trust and that it takes work to repair. Again, I think most reasonable people, and I say that because you're always going to have some outliers that just dig in and and won't allow for imperfection and won't allow for moments, you know, they're going to never forgive you or whatever. But again, think about our personal relationships. How do you repair? You're honest, you're vulnerable. You say, I didn't get that right. You say, this is something I struggled with. Let's say you haven't been giving feedback and you've listened to this, you know, episode or you really, you know, something makes you say, okay, I get it. Like I get that truly the kindest thing to do is to be honest and to be candid. I say to tell people, you know what? I've realized my discomfort with this has prevented me from being as honest with you. And that's really not helping you. I apologize for that. And moving forward, here's what I would like to do. And just be human. Sometimes the work thing, the corporate thing, it's like all of a sudden we think we have to put on our corporate mask Mm -hmm. and we have to say everything just right. And, And I know, I mean, HR is probably going, oh, you do, you do, right? I mean, there's some authentic, sincere conversation. I don't know why we need to think we have to turn into these robots that deliver these. I personally think it's okay to say I messed up. It's okay to say, I want you to know this conversation is going to be really hard for me. I care about you. And I, you know, I, we have a great relationship and and I need to give you some, some difficult feedback. And I want you to know, it's not the easiest thing. Like what, what person wouldn't be open to hearing that? That's like, that's just human. That the key is that is so much better than just not giving it or giving it in this harsh way. What I find, Andrea, I mean, there's always the, there's the people that 
do it in this just aggressive, harmful way, those tend to be smaller in number. There's a book that I love called Radical Candor. And uh, I would suggest anybody that struggles with giving feedback and receiving feedback, look at that. But biggest problem I see out there, and, and this is what the author would say, is they call, she calls it ruinous empathy. And it typically is that people aren't having those difficult conversations. They don't want to make people upset or they don't want to hurt their feelings. I think it's more rare. It does happen where it's just done obnoxious, you know, obnoxiously and aggressively. Just remember that even if you need to be human. and It goes back to what you were saying. You mentioned one of my favorite people as well, Brene Brown, and she talks a lot about vulnerability and how the leaders need to show that they don't have to be perfect. They're not perfect. They acknowledge they're not perfect. And when they come to the table, I love your methodology to just be straight and honest, which leads me to my next question, which, and you kind of touched on it in your previous response, which is when I was a leader, I usually would sit down initially with people 30 to 60 days into a new hire, 30 to 60 days into a new relationship as a, as a new manager with a new team or, you know, periodically. And I would say to them in that first feedback session, how do you like to receive feedback? Because as a leader, I want to be conscious that if I don't deliver it in a way that they feel is credible, authentic, whatever words you want to put in there, there it's not going to land, it's going to land on deaf ears, right? And there was always two responses. They either wanted the love sandwich, which is, you do this really well, you need to work on this, but you do this really well. Or the rip it off like a bandage, just tell me, like you said. How do you give feedback to people? Is it something that can be done on their terms or should it be done just the way that you do it? Is it better to just be authentically you and give it? Yeah, it's a great, great question. And I've heard this when I've done corporate trainings. I, you know, I've heard well, you know, one question typically I've seen people ask is, do you want to be praised in public or private? And I think that's interesting. I, this is just me and maybe it's because I'm an extrovert and I need to realize, but I feel like everyone, no one feels like they can say public, like that looks arrogant, but I think most people don't mind being praised in public if they're being honest. Right. But that's just my little Amanda. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I'm sorry. I just don't believe that, that even if you're like an introvert, like if you, if it's a, if it's a praise, I feel like most people don't mind it. Right. But that's just maybe if it's not praise, if it's critique by now, some people know the, the love sandwich or the sandwich thing. And so again, that, that could come off a little insincere just because it's kind of out there and people know it and they're kind of expecting it always good to certainly First, talk about what the person is doing right, what they're doing well, how you see them contributing. Again, depending on how dicey here or the, the feedback is. If it's something that is just like, hey, I think that you know you should use a different font in your PowerPoint, then you should do that as you're walking down the hall back to the back to the, each other's offices. Like that should not wait. But if it's something where you really are seeing some serious performance issues, I think doing it sooner rather than later, writing down some points, because we think we'll just be able to naturally talk about it. But what if that person starts reacting emotionally? What if they start having reaction? What we typically do 
it's pull back. It's that ruinous empathy. Oh, okay. Well, no, you know, just whatever you can do, just work on it. It's no big deal. We need to remember that if we're going to do this, you talk about the rand day, I kind of say, I mean, pardon my French, but you know, don't half-ass it. Like if you're going to do it, do it. You're not doing anybody any favors by going in, you're going to address this performance issue. And then the minute it gets a little uncomfortable, you kind of start, oh, well, you know, it's okay. No big deal. Like, like let's, let's do this thing so that the person can truly improve. One of the, she's actually my, one of my best friends, but she's a very high ranking manager um, at a company, very high ranking, you know, C-suite type. And she, when she has a particularly tough uh, feedback session, she thinks that it could be a bit, you know, emotional or whatever. She does write things down because she doesn't want to kind of do that. Like, Oh, never mind, never mind. And kind of leave off half the list. And she tells the person she's talking to, I am going to look at my notes. And it's because this is so important that I put time and thought into writing this out. I don't want you to think I'm reading, you know, just canned points. This was so important to me that I took some time to write down my thought, keep it a bit sort of measured in that way. It's still authentic though, not the sandwich or it's, and then the other thing that she does that I thought was really cool. She writes at the top of her page, why she's doing this for herself. It's for herself. It's, this is going to help the health of the team. I value honesty over comfort. And she says, and she has to go back and look at that. Most people have a pretty good BS meter. Mm -hmm. I have friends like this in my life. I have friends like this that just shoot me straight. And sometimes it's a little uncomfortable, but man, I know where they stand and I don't have to walk on eggshells and I don't have to wonder if they're thinking this or thinking that. And then you have other people that, you know, just aren't completely transparent. It's not that they're not kind, but you kind of always wonder where you stand with them. You wonder if they're happy, if they're not happy. I think most people in the workplace, I know I always value knowing where I stood Mm-hmm. And I would rather than that, than to have, go into their office, have some sort of weird sugar-coated kind of, I'm using the buzzwords and I'm kind of not being completely transparent and walking out just as confused about what I was doing right, what I was, what needed improvement. That especially. And I want to dive into the plan forward from, from feedback a little bit here, because I think that's an important aspect to feedback, especially in a a corporate setting. I feel the same way I do about training and development that's rolled out at a corporate level and the managers don't pull it through. It's gone. If you don't hold people accountable to the development and as leaders we're wired, right? To focus on what's wrong or what could be done better. And then we want to fix it. But it's not ours to fix. Sometimes it's about referring them to somebody else who does it in a different way that could help them. So there's mentoring and there's coaching. And Mm. coaching requires you as the leader to give feedback and to then coach them towards the promised land. The better way to do it, the best practice, whatever. Then there's mentoring, which is you've got the answers, Amanda. You can do it. I've seen you do it. You just need to do it more consistently. So who is the onus of accountability on and how do you make that decision when you're committing and writing? Here's what we're going to do about it. What's on you? What's on them? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a great question. I hate to say it. Maybe this is 
some people would see this as letting the individual contributor or the employee off the hook. But I, I think that at least at first, it is the leader's job to model that feedback, make the time for it and to the check-ins and that kind of thing. The, the goal is then for them to eventually not need that and to do those things on their own. But, you know, depending on what we're talking about here, I work with everyone from a well-seasoned manager in their 60s to a just starting out you know, 23-year-old in the workplace. We need to be realistic about where that person is. And with 23 year old, they, they might be the smartest top of their class, you know, all of that, but they haven't worked in these structures before. They haven't had this position before. They haven't had an org chart. I think it is on the leader, you know, depending on, you got to look at the individual. It is on the leader to first start that, that process. But then the expectation is that that person will then, you know, take it from there. But training wheels, I think are, appropriate. I work for this one organization and they're wonderful. They very much have this, like, we don't want to micromanage. We don't want to micromanage. We want everyone to be autonomous and not okay. But again, I also have some of their younger, less experienced folks, you know, call me for coaching and they're like, I need help. Like, I feel like I'm out here and, and it's not because they're not driven. It's not because they're not smart. It's not because they don't care. This is just new to them. So what management thinks is like letting them just sort of sink or swim, eh, that might not actually be as kind as they think. I think it depends on where people are in their developmental process. But if you know this, I'm not telling anything you don't know, Andrea, but if a, if a leader or a manager is saying, I don't have time for that, I don't have time to check in, there's no better use of your time. Mm. Every day you should be thinking about your team and how they're developing. And if that's not working, then you probably need to look at how many people report to you, you know, what the structure is, uh, because that is like, you know, I would always, I would challenge what better use of your time do you have other than having that 15 minute check-in with that employee? Exactly. Which, which then gets into what do you have in place? You know, some of this, there's the deeper work of getting comfortable with these candid conversations, truly believing that clear is kind. Then there's the logistical, how do you put the time on your calendar? I would argue if you, if you can, you should probably be talking to all of your direct reports once a week. So there's a time for you to have that check-in. The other right. thing I would submit, and I, see, I would love to hear your opinion on this, is if you're not working for somebody who allows themselves to do that, and by allow, I mean free their schedule, pencil you in first when they're creating their schedule ahead, why are you not holding them accountable? As a employee, yeah. you should ask right. the questions like, how am I doing? Can you take five minutes? Schedule the time yourself on their calendar. Am I right? Oh. I totally agree. I told now again, in a perfect world, I do believe the leaders should be taking that responsibility just because of that positional power they have. But I also agree. And again, that's a lot of what I do with some of my clients is empower them to, you know, to realize it's a two-way thing. It's not, you know, I know I, listen, I took me a long time. I grew up sort of with this family dynamic of a bit of seen, not heard. Don't rock the boat. 
very much respected authority. You know, I fell in line like that. So, so I had to work myself on that idea that, oh, wait, like there's, they're just a human who puts their pants on one leg at a time. And I can say, can I get on your calendar? Or I can say, I really would like your help on, you know, X, Y, and Z. Uh, because while in a utopian world, everybody, these lead, you know, everybody would understand that meeting with their direct reports and, and creating that time and really showing their direct reports that it's important by taking the lead. While that would be the ideal, it isn't reality. I don't know any boss, any manager that would not see it as a positive mm -hmm. for their person to say, I would like some time to talk about how I can do things better. Feedback. You're right. It, it's more of, it should be more of a, a two-way street. It's not just, you just wait, you just shut up and wait until you're called into the, to the office. And you mentioned it earlier too, about generations. I'm often asked by organizations, how do we reach the millennials? How do we give them feedback? Cause it's been, everybody gets a medal their whole life. Everybody's a winner. You're a winner just for trying. So there's some unrealistic expectations that some of these younger generations may have coming into a corporate environment. Do you think that there is a difference in the way that you give a baby boomer feedback versus a Gen X versus a millennial? And should that be the case? Yeah, gosh, a really great question and thought. And I, I don't know that I have the answer on it. Number one, whether they like it or not, make them talk face to face. I mean, I hope it goes without saying, but all of this should be done face to face if possible. And I know we live in a world that's now it may be Zoom or wait, that's like the next best thing. But I've seen emails and messenger chats and things like that them try to offer feedback or critique in that format. And that is not good. No, no, no. So in that way, I think you might have to force millennials to have these face-to-face -face conversations, but it's just, it's going to go, as we all know, it's just going to go so much better. You can read body language, et cetera. Um, you know, I don't mean to just kind of keep skirting the issue by saying authenticity, but I, I think that some of the baby boomers I know that, you know, are still in the corporate or people that I know that are in 50s, 60s in the corporate environment. I mean, they roll their eyes at performance reviews. Sometimes they roll their eyes at these leadership trainings. Why? Been there, done that. It's the same canned stuff. Uh, I'm just going to get some general, you know, you've done well this year, you know, put up or whatever. Just because maybe they've had it that way doesn't mean they want it that way. I think that candid, direct feedback is for any generation. I want to use this sort of story. I have to tell it because I think it's important. I think it, you know, talk about the root canal and the cleaning. I don't care how old you are. How does it feel when you walk out of the bathroom and you have toilet paper on your shoe? <laughs> so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. Like, I don't know why, but that is like the most embarrassing like thing ever. Like, like you have any fault if you do anything wrong. Right. But so, so here, here paints a picture. Like, I don't care how old you are, how cool you are, what year you were born. It's humiliating to have toilet paper on your shoe. Well, what do you want from somebody in that situation? You don't want them to scream across the room and, and go, Oh my God, look at you. You have toilet paper on your shoe. Right. Like that's aggressive. That's not kind. That's obnoxious. Okay. We don't want that. We don't want 
oh God, well, I don't want to tell her because like, I don't want to feel awkward. I don't really know her that well. Like, mm, you know, I think I'm just going to let her keep going throughout the restaurant. That's that ruinous empathy. What we want is somebody to care enough and be willing to be uncomfortable enough to take us to the side and go, hey, hey, just so you know, you know, you've got that toilet paper on your shoe. And I know it happens to me all the time too. Like, it's so embarrassing. I just, you know, oh God, thank you. That's what people want. I don't care how old you are, place, right? You you don't want people talking behind your back. Oh, you know, she she's not doing that well. She's she's underperforming. She doesn't know how to speak. You know, her her writing isn't very good. You'd want somebody to come and tell you that. Yes, I have to interrupt you and thank you, yes. you said, <laughs> because that is what vulnerability means. Vulnerability is coming to the surface and saying, "I do it all the time." Right. Let me help you out here and share with you. You've got some toilet paper on your shoe. Right. And they're like, oh my God, thank you. Because you've been real. You've been relatable. Yes. People will hear be vulnerable as a leader. And they're like, you want me to be a wuss. You want me to show my vault. And they confuse it with vulnerability. Right. Authenticity, relatability, I think is the word that we should be using, which is I've been there. Let me help you because I've been there. Not let me help you because I'm the leader and I think you're doing it wrong. Right. No, absolutely. I, I was with a, another sort of corporate group a couple of months ago and had their retreat. And I led them in this exercise. I waited till day two and there had been some, you know, connection. And I mean, these people had worked together for a while, but I waited and I kind of throughout the retreat, I started asking them to do a kind of a round robin of questions. And, and as the retreat went on, they got a little and little more vulnerable. The questions asked of them more vulnerability. And the CEO of the group, I can't remember what the question exactly was, but he basically sort of admitted and said in front of the entire group that he struggles every day with imposter syndrome. Every day he questions whether he is really good enough. Do you, can you imagine how far that went with those employees? I, and I could tell by spending time with those employees, they felt safe and comfortable giving feedback, being imperfect, saying their ideas out loud, and I see why now I see why, you know, and, and he didn't cry. He didn't like, it, it wasn't, I mean, you don't have to just go to the depths and just pour your soul out, but, but to know your CEO is still strong and capable and does what, what they need to do, but they, they also have to balance that feeling of imposter syndrome. That's just going to create this culture of, wow, people are real here. Mm-hmm. And that is rewarded. That's empowering. You know? I could tell but nobody questions his ability because he said that if anything, they just have more respect for him. And again, this isn't like we have to go and unpack all of our past trauma and dirty laundry, you know, but, but it's, it is those moments of um, modeling. We can say all day long, we want vulnerability. We want people to be honest. We want people to be imperfect. It, you know, that's the language we're supposed to say, but are we modeling it as the leaders? Walk the talk. Amanda McPherson, you just changed the game. I think on a lot of people who are dreading this time of year and making it a very relatable, very real discussion between two human beings. And I thank you for that. Well, thank you. You asked 
excellent questions and have a lot of wisdom I can tell. And so thank you for letting me be part of this discussion. And this is a human thing. This is an emotional thing. This feedback thing is not just worksheets and gradings and scales. We have to dig a little deeper to really get good at it. So yes, uh, if they would like to learn more about me, they can look at my website, which is lifecoachamanda.com. And I do have a a LinkedIn presence. So I'd love to connect there. Uh, Just find me at Amanda McPherson. Um, And uh, I'll I'll give my email. I'll give one more point of contact, coachingwithamanda, coachingwithamanda at Gmail. I have really enjoyed this conversation and I know that it's going to make a very critical discussion in people's uh, evolution in their careers that much easier. So thank you for joining 52 Weeks this week. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We will be back next week. Same time, same place, even more power. 